Welcome back to Bit of a Tangent. I'm Gianluca, and as always, I'll be joined by my co-host Jared for another wide-ranging conversation that brings together science, philosophy, and self-optimization. In this episode, we discuss the flow state. You know that feeling you sometimes have when you're doing an activity like coding or surfing or running, and you're just in the zone where time and the self melt away, and you're able to perform at the highest level? That's the flow state, and it makes for one of the most fascinating areas of psychological research. If you can think of a high-performing person, from stand-up comics to mathematical geniuses to big wave surfers, they almost certainly performed their greatest work in a state of flow. The first half of this conversation examines the characteristics and triggers of the flow state, outlines the physiology and neurochemistry of the phenomenon, and describes the irresistible benefits to productivity and happiness. Now this is particularly useful if you aren't well acquainted with the flow state and are looking to understand what it is and why it's so powerful. In the second half of our discussion, we speculate as to how and why the flow state evolved in humans. We had a fantastic debate about it and really sent our hypotheses into battle against one another, which led to some fascinating realizations. This conversation was great fun to record, and we're really excited to be able to share it with you. And so, without further ado, here's the episode of Bit of a Tangent. I've had this idea of the flow state and how it might have arisen historically in our evolutionary history, let's say, uh, bouncing around my brain for a few weeks now. And it's something I've mentioned to you before and we spoke about briefly, but we never really got the chance to to dig into it. And what better chance to dig into it than a podcast entitled Bit of a Tangent, where <laughs> the entire premise of the show is that we start talking about a topic and branch off into the interesting things that occur to us and people apparently enjoy listening to. Well, I mean, I'm glad that people seem to be enjoying it, but I think the first thing you need to do is mention what a flow state is and why it's even interesting to talk about. <laughs> Absolutely, right. So uh, the flow state uh, goes by many names, uh, the depending on the, the background. Exactly, right. So the common ones are the zone or runner's high, um, Musicians have various ones. I think it, de- it depends on your genre. Uh, so I think in jazz improvisation, it's called being in the pocket. Uh, but generally speaking, it's this idea of being in a, a state of mind, a state of being that has very prominent physiological markers whereby everything seems to just flow out of you and the activities that you're performing and the body performing them melt together, the self seems to disappear, and your concept of things like time and self-awareness and uh, humility seem to melt away. Yeah, I mean, so I think you've hit on classic prerequisites for uh, experiencing this, and maybe it would be useful to talk briefly about any reliable triggers of flow in your life uh, as you maybe describe that trigger you could again go through that list of uh, sort of cardinal features 
you know that balance between yeah. the challenge and the skill etc etc and just highlight each of them absolutely i think let's let's actually just say up front then that there's an extensive body of research on this from psychology and it's obviously branched out into many other fields um, more recently as interdisciplinary science has become more possible but part of that body of research has identified six key properties or uh, factors that characterize flow so uh, let me go through those six first i think that's a, a good start and as i say them people might start getting an idea but then as we could maybe trade uh, examples of times in our lives where we've experienced the state so the six that are commonly accepted are intense and focused concentration on the present moment secondly merging of action and awareness thirdly a loss of reflective self-consciousness fourthly a sense of personal control or agency over the situation or activity fifthly a distortion of temporal experience one subjective experience of time is altered and finally experience of the activity as intrinsically rewarding also referred to as autotelic experience so those are the six some of them are more let's say tangible than others while others seem to be a bit more abstract or harder to define or harder to notice uh, but yeah, I'm interested to like know examples in your life where you've experienced flow. Um, and then maybe we can just uh, trade some of those and, and discuss how those properties come up, give people an example of what we mean. Yeah, I guess, I don't know, I've always, it's not that I struggle with flow, it's, it's more that I always wish that I were seemingly more prone to enter it. I guess the closest that I come would be I mean, there's, there's sort of things that cheat flow in some sense. Like a, a good video game, right, has been engineered in some sense to induce Absolutely. flow. And, and that, that, that's a great example that I definitely want to come back to when we start talking about the more um, detailed aspects of flow theory. So hold that thought. Okay, I'll hold that thought. And I know one that you're going to bring up will be computer programming. Um, so I'll hold Coding. off on exactly that for you i guess for me the closest thing is sitting down to learn something if i do it well there's mm. some element of flow in there um you know especially if i reading can get me there but it's fairly unreliable um as a an effect that i look for so it's something that i'm always interested in in learning to increase the effect of so I think that'll be Absolutely. the useful thing in this conversation for me is maybe uh, a keener discussion of what Absolutely. flow is and the, the practical side of things, right? Because yeah, I think we can we can touch on on some of the theory in the background and give people an understanding of what we mean. But what I presume once we go through the benefits of flow, everyone is going to be interested in finding out is how do you get more of this stuff, right? As soon as you hear about something that's got virtually all upside and little to no downside, you want to know how you can uh, inject your life full of it uh, and and that's stuff we definitely want to get into yeah i mean i think you know an example that you've mentioned to me before which i think captures this this idea of why it's such a an entity you want more of is you mentioned the idea of why is it that it seems like in very extreme sports you know i mean like uh, free solo climbing or base jumping you know these very extreme niche sports where you could really die at any moment. 
why do people seem to sort of pick them up much quicker than say someone learning to play to than someone learning to play piano or uh more or maybe just learning to play basketball right and what you sort of hypothesized to me if i remember correctly was that because these life or death moments are a are such a strong inducer of flow the people practicing them are effectively getting triple or quadruple or maybe 10 times as much practice in any given session so they accomplish in a couple of years what others may take decades to do absolutely right so i mean many people will be uh familiar with the sort of 10,000 hours hypothesis that was popularized by malcolm gladwell but put forward initially by anders ericsson and the idea being to achieve mastery in any domain, you need about 10,000 hours of diligent practice in your life to, to get to that level. And, and, and the theory around extreme sports is that the reason why people can pick things up so much faster and why the performance margins seem to progress in leaps and bounds, as opposed to things like, say, uh, playing the violin over time, is, is that you, you're cramming more of those like 10,000 hours into any given amount of time. Or, or maybe you're even getting like two hours worth of diligent practice in one hour of actual real time. And and it's this way of like elevating a state of consciousness and a state of experience in such a way that your ability to learn and master something is enhanced. Um, and the key trigger there is risk, right? Like when your mm. life is in danger, the risk is, one might say, infinite. Um, and so <laughs> that, 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 as we can probably all imagine, is a very focusing set of circumstances. Uh, and we'll definitely come back to other triggers, right? So like if you don't feel like putting your life on the line every time you want to write an article or code up an algorithm or learn something quickly, there are other admittedly less effective triggers, but there are many. Uh, I think there's like 17 to 20 commonly accepted uh, triggers for the flow state and, the, and there's quite a, a lot of research into into this and some new technological and pharmacological inroads that are that are being pushed uh, as technology advances so definitely want to come to that but i think it is important to just give uh, a suitable grounding for this and to fill in some of the background of the story of flow because i find that part of what makes it so fascinating is understanding that background and it also gives you a good foundation to try and think how you can hack something, right? So to understand something well, um, as anyone who's tried to do like penetration testing on a uh, computer network knows, you first have to understand how it works, right? If you're going to break something, you generally need to understand how it works first. Um, <laughs> that reminds me of a saying, I think it goes something like, you don't truly know how to use a tool unless you know how to abuse it, which is exactly that. <laughs> That's that's a fantastic uh, little quote. We'll, we'll we'll find the the original source hopefully for the show notes, um, which should be down below in the description of the podcast. By the way, if you are are listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, well, the thing that you should do immediately is is give us a five star review. Just by the way, and and a rating if you would be so kind, uh, because because Apple's podcasts are just over powered in terms of the amount of influence they have on other platforms so like that's the best way you can help us oh there we go all right plug 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 end plug yeah, shameless um, plug over <laughs> you know i think if i can interject quickly 
when we initially spoke about this topic, it kind of came from from what you've just been talking about, right? This idea of how we can live better or in some sense be better at the things we care about, right? And I think that's what mm. the real interest will be um, for people listening, will be why is this relevant to my life and the things I care about? You know, so I think it would be, I mean, I can point out my background for why this is an interesting state, but I do think we should talk about, maybe just clarify some of those terms that you use to describe the almost key characteristics of the flow state. You know, mm. so I mean... Absolutely. So so I think I think a good way to do that is actually with an example at hand because that makes this a lot more concrete. Uh, so obviously something like coding uh, for me, like people who code will, will know exactly what I mean when I talk about the flow state. Uh, I, was, I was in it today at work, uh, working on a, a piece of code that I wrote. And it was, it was one of those rare pieces of code that you write uh, when you're doing this for a living that reminds you of code you wrote when you were starting out the first time you really started mastering some of the core skills. And it's, it's more like poetry than it is like code <laughs> because it's just it, the way it flows and connects together is just so elegant in, in, a, in an aesthetic sense as well. Um, and this, this is a rare experience. I mean, for anyone, this, this, this will not be happening every day, maybe once a month if you're lucky. Um, so that's a great example. However, not everyone codes and people who don't code don't really share uh, that that uh, shared vocabulary of that experience. Another really good one that I think most people can understand, if not directly relate to, that I've picked up recently is surfing. So I started surfing, you know, like six, seven, eight months ago. And uh, it's a great way to experience the flow state uh, for a number of reasons. And uh, I think now is a good, like using maybe that as an example, let's go through those those characteristics again. Right, so the first one is the intense and focused concentration on the present moment. Uh, and much like being in the shower, where a lot of people experience shower thoughts that they don't seem to experience otherwise, it's like font of creativity. Um, when you are broken away from technological distractions and it's difficult to communicate or interact with other people nearby, you're suddenly isolated in a way by the nature of your environment. That means that you have to be very focused on the present moment. So in the context of surfing, you have this other factor going on, which is that you're looking at the waves and trying to pay attention to predict when a, a good wave is coming because you need to predict it far enough in advance that you can turn around, get into position, and start paddling away from the wave in order to be able to, to, to take it and ride it nicely. And so you're inherently focused on what's happening in front of you. And you know, as most people appreciate with water and specifically the ocean, it's a, it's a very lulling kind of meditational thing to observe. And yeah. so that's a major factor at play, right? right? I mean, there's no space to sort of wonder about the future or worry about the past, the last wave you took, right? I mean, it's very much a present-focused thing to be doing. Absolutely. And, and anyone who, who does surf or does something similar and has experienced a, a similar feeling, uh, the, the long-distance runners potentially uh, with runners high, well, no, you get into like a meditational state where only the present matters and something like your breathing or the flow of the waves is consuming all your attention. Um, which brings us to the second property, which is merging of action and awareness, right? And it's this idea of not consciously thinking about everything that you're doing with your body, 
yeah. which for beginners obviously is very challenging. But as you become accustomed to it, you're not thinking where you put your foot. You're not thinking where you know you should paddle. You're not thinking about keeping your balance. You just are one with the wave. <laughs> um, so before before I before I have to yeah yank my healing crystals out of my ass, um, I, I will acknowledge that that does sound very woo. Um, but this is a subjective experience, right? I'm not saying that your chakras are aligning with the universe. I'm not saying that some cosmic energy is imbuing you. But it feels that way. <laughs> and that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a subjective experience here. And people who can relate will know exactly what I mean, but we'll just have to excuse the weird vocabulary. Which brings us to the third trait, um, which is that loss of reflective self-consciousness, right? So meditators who have got a reasonable amount of experience will know that you can almost lose your sense of self when you are focused enough in the meditational sense on your practice. So it's on your breathing and then suddenly your your awareness just transcends thinking about yourself. Um, this is a topic we've discussed in the past, so I don't want to dig into that too deeply because that is a whole can of, uh, of hard problem of consciousness worms. Uh, but that, that is a trait that, that is... It turns out very important to this flow state, uh, but we'll come back to that later. The fourth one is the sense of personal control or agency over the situation or activity. So obviously in the case of surfing, you're totally in control of the activity, right? Everything that you do gets translated into motion of the board of you in the water, and only you are to blame if you don't get up on the wave. So you're inherently in control of what's happening, and what you're doing actively. Then the fifth trait is that distortion of temporal experience, which is uh, highfalutin speak for saying that time seems to disappear or there's a, there's a distortion of time. It, it can simultaneously feel like every second that ticks by is an eternity as you watch the wave crest, as you watch it uh, barrel perhaps, uh, each stroke you take, each moment of gathering your balance seems like it's going on forever and you're hyper aware of it. But yet at the same time, Two hours in the case of surfing can go past and it's only when you start getting, you know, numb fingers or start getting hungry that you actually snapped out of it and you go, wow, that felt like five minutes. Um, and that's another hugely important property of the flow state. So for people who've ever gotten lost in some project and suddenly like looked up and gone, oh shit, it's three in the morning and I was totally absorbed in that for like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours, didn't eat, didn't feel tired, didn't stand up even when other times they can't go five minutes without checking their Twitter feed. That is very much that experience. Um, and finally, there's that sixth trait, which is um, the experience of the activity as intrinsically rewarding. Um, you aren't doing this to gain something. You just are doing it because it is all that you see. Um, so to throw some machine learning uh, jargon in there, your objective function is whatever activity you're doing. You're not using some other proxy as, as an objective function, right? So you, you're not working because you want to earn money or working so that you can get a promotion. You're working because work and doing the work is everything that you care about in that flow state. And so in the, the case of surfing, to bring it back to that, all you care about is the current wave. And then once you're down, the wave immediately after that. And you just want to get more waves. You're not doing it to show off to your friends. You're not doing it to look cool. You're not doing it because standing up on a piece of uh, wood or composite foam is is, is like going to give you something else down the line or has some kind of value it's just that like that activity that you're absorbed in is everything to you when you're doing it so that was a very long and roundabout 
way of attacking this, but I think that hopefully now those six traits are much more concrete in people's minds. Yeah, I think that was a good explanation there. So it kind of strikes me, or at least my interest in this comes, again, as I said, from this purpose of how can we use this to inform our actions, right? And I mean, it's no coincidence that the subject of meditation came up so many times when we were talking about flow. And I think more than just talking about or giving descriptions of it today, I think the really interesting meat of the conversation kind of comes from two directions, right? One will be asking ourselves the question, why as human beings did we even evolve this capacity to experience this set of conscious states, right? And I think the second interesting avenue here is along this direction of focus, attention, and awareness. I'm coming at this from the perspective of someone who is currently in the middle of the project of trying to just reclaim my attention, right? From every company and internet service that has scattered it or claimed it in some sense. Whatever it is that you value in your life, right? The only things you really have are time and attention to give to that time, right? In some sense, we only ever have time, but I always add the caveat of attention because it doesn't matter how much time you have if you don't have the quality of attention to pay to it, right? So from those two points of view, and we can go into whichever one you feel like first, there are just several key ideas to get into. Absolutely. And this is the thing that's so interesting and so appealing about flow and the flow state is that it it gives you this force multiplier effect with your attention and it allows you to spend your time much more meaningfully in more ways than one, right? You, you're simultaneously able to be more productive but also enjoy doing things more. And so it's one of those like rare cases of something that feels like almost... Uh, a silver bullet um, right so like another example would be sleep when it comes to health and wellness right? getting the adequate amount of sleep seems to address like 99 percent of the health issues that people care about right it seems like that that silver bullet yeah and in the case of spending your time and your awareness and being productive and doing meaningful things with your life flow seems like an analogous silver bullet um and so i mean and and there's 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 hard research to back this up over over years right i mean the the field began in the late 1800s and uh you know saw huge amounts of of work and growth and development uh from let's say like the 1960s 1970s onwards um and so like one really interesting result actually came out of the mckinsey consulting group uh, who looked at a whole bunch of work environments and quantified the amount of impact that the flow state seemed to have on the productivity of the workers. And they found that getting more flow state per week than your competitors gave you like a thousand-fold productivity boost. And this is on the assumption that your competitors are getting next to none, right? So they have like an open office and everyone can just interrupt each other all the time. Right, that, that kind of effect size is just 
impossible to ignore, right? Even if you can assume that their methodology was completely invalid, <laughs> like statistically speaking, that's incomprehensible. And, and the results on this can just be found everywhere. And it's, it's, it's really, really incredible stuff. So yes, absolutely what you're saying about how much time you have, how you spend that time and the quality of attention in that time and flow is inherently linked to all of those things. But one other aspect of, of flow that we haven't touched on that I think will be important when we start talking about maybe why flow evolved is the physiological and biochemical properties and, and uh, underpinnings of flow. And, and I think as the, um, the resident medical expert in this podcast, Ooh, experts are dangerous are, word. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in this podcast, it was, it was declared, mm. um, you know, out of, out of the, out of the, the data scientist and the medical student, I think, uh, the medical student is in this case slightly more qualified to, to talk about the biochemistry and physiology of, of the flow state. So if you have some thoughts on that and, and maybe you want to elucidate. Yeah. So there isn't actually very much known about the like very specific neurochemical substrates of flow i don't think anyone will be too surprised to imagine that adrenaline and cortisol your two stress hormones play a big role here right those are likely culprits in whatever's going on from what i've read a good way to think about it is in the same way that one of the features that uh, underlies a flow state is that perfect balance right between your own skill level and the challenge with which you're faced right you don't want something that's too difficult because you give up and you're disheartened and you don't want something that's too easy because you become bored right so so basically flow could be seen as that like optimal spot balancing those two things my reading very quickly admittedly of whatever literature i could find on this is that the physiology of flow kind of seems to mirror that general conception. So you're not entirely on the fight or flight mode. You're not just dumped full of adrenaline and super high cortisol levels and lots of stress, but it seems like you want some measure of parasympathetic or um, what people would maybe call like rest and digest tone or activity to almost counteract that or balance it and so when you look at these studies talking about people in the flow state their respiratory rate or the the volume of their breathing tends to increase right if you think about someone having a panic attack right like the classic thing of someone having a panic attack will be a rapid fast shallow breathing pattern and so if you think about it uh, panic attacks and anxiety have a really strong component of um, those stress hormones we were talking about so there's something qualitatively different about the stress of flow and the stress of something like a panic attack and it lies in um, this regulation of the balance between the two branches of your autonomic nervous system the other interesting piece of the puzzle is sort of the ways in which flow is related to sort of psychological aspects of us. For example, um, if you look at the personality traits associated with increased or decreased uh, propensity for flow, right? Particularly neuroticism, if you think of that big five, openness, agreeableness, etc. And one of them is neuroticism, which is 
kind of your propensity to imagine bad outcomes, right? To worry, um, to... That's a nice way of putting it. I like to, that. to care about the opinions of others, right? High neuroticism seems yeah. to be at least somewhat detrimental or at least inhibitory to easily accessing flow, whereas very low neuroticism people apparently have a much easier time and that kind of makes intuitive sense given what you said about things like having a loss of self-consciousness not worrying about what you're doing not doing it for extrinsic reasons like signaling your own virtue or showing off right and very low neuroticism people i think naturally have those traits because they almost by definition don't want or don't require that kind of social validation so so that's interesting it's it's almost like we're saying it's not a coincidence that the very chilled out surfer dude is often in the flow state when surfing right it's it's like we we thought that he was chilled out because he spends all day surfing but it might be that he's a very chilled out guy and so he can spend all day in the flow state and that's why he's really good at surfing yeah i, I think that's exactly it right there's some sort of uh, chicken and egg aspect to the problem related to that i think is it is really interesting just to think about the kind of difference um, in effect of those two hormones we mentioned right so acutely your adrenaline or noradrenaline and then the effect of cortisol right um, so they can both be acute stress hormones adrenaline usually more than cortisol and the interesting thing about how cortisol acts is acutely it's somewhat similar to adrenaline, right? It's going to bump up your blood pressure, mm. um, increase your blood sugar, prepare you for a fight or a run. And it seems to be pretty good in that sense, right? It heightens attention, it heightens focus in the same way that adrenaline does, right? But the problem with cortisol is when it is chronically released. And chronic cortisol release, we call it by another name every day, and that's stress, right? This this idea of flow being this almost optimal balance between some sort of exciting challenge, but not a chronic stressor, right? And again, that goes back to this difference between the person who is very mellow in the flow state, the surfer, as you said, and the person who suffers from anxiety or something akin to that or some sort of panic attack. Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean... From things that I've picked up in the past, and I think I first started getting into all of this research uh, relating to flow maybe two and a bit years ago, maybe three, I remember them talking about sort of, you know, the, the usual culprits when it comes to neurotransmitters, so like your, your dopamines and your serotonins, and I think even acetylcholine and things like that came up. Um, and obviously, it's, it's very difficult to separate what is a property of the flow state and what is merely caused by what you're doing while you're in the flow state. Mm. Um, so that, that is obviously a difficulty. And as we know, these chemical balances are very complex and there's high inter-individual variation. And we also know that getting those balances right is really important to psychological and mental well-being. Um, and, and, and that idea of almost having these gradients seems to connect very much with at least my understanding of how you know neurochemical gradients can form and the way flow seems to operate in in real life where it comes in this you know, sort of big wave and then gradually like tapers off and then you feel thoroughly knackered generally afterwards that that seems to also 
suggest some kind of mapping back down to how the neurochemistry could work in the sense that you deplete many of these neuro uh, or many of these chemicals and so as a result you then have to go into the state of sort of lowered arousal to allow your body to regenerate those things yeah i mean i think there's a great parallel there with just the importance of sleep as a sort of regenerative activity between any bout of mental activity right so it strikes me rather as intuitive that on some level all of those neurotransmitters are involved and it would be interesting i think in the future to maybe read more and find out what is the best state of our knowledge i kind of view one of the more important projects in my life at least is decreasing the gap between the things which can induce flow whether it's video games or um, or surfing and the set of all things where you could experience it so I kind of think in some senses, you know, as you said, it's it's so related to this feeling of contentment, of meaning, of lack of anxiety, of loss of self. And so I wonder about the almost viability of nudging yourself closer and closer to experiencing either small amounts or little discrete packets of flow in other things. You know, I mean, there's probably a tie to meditation here, but... I wonder if that's a project you see yourself doing in some ways, or if I kind of liken it to just the general sense in which the barrier between the person that you currently are and the person you could be tends to be the lack of awareness that kind of pervades everyday existence, right? That sense in which we sort of sleepwalk from activity to activity, playing out the habits which we've had for years. And so I think that there's probably an important relationship between the heightened awareness that we experience in that sort of flow state and the ability to get more in line with who we want to be. Absolutely. The flow state is, you know, merely another tool that we use in the journey of self-improvement or self-optimization, if you will. And since I first came across the flow theory and did some more research on it, uh, I've, I've looked quite aggressively over the years into how I can inject more flow into my life. And, and there's a number of things that I want to touch on there. And then I have a number of great resources that I can point people towards uh, that at least will serve to bring them up to speed with the sort of current understanding of how best to get yourself into these states. But I think it's important at this point to also acknowledge the fact that we've, you know, given some background on what flow is, and we've briefly looked at the uh, sort of physiology and the neurochemistry of it. But the almost more important part of it, and the much more heavily researched part of it is actually the psychological experience of it. And it has, much like meditation, this interesting conundrum of the thing that's doing the experiment is also observing itself doing the experiment right where it's very hard to notice whether when you're in the flow state um, because you're in the flow state and so inherently you're focused on the other thing that you're doing and so I think understanding the psychology of it is an important aspect to that because it allows you to almost get into that metacognition plane whereby you can notice you're in the flow state without leaving it and lean into it even more or you can notice if you're starting to fall out of it and optimize your environment 
through small changes to get you back into it. Um, and there's many practical ways to do that. But I think a little bit more context in terms of the psychology and, and some of the mental models relating to the flow state is, is really important. So one thing in particular is, I think it's often referred to as the flow matrix, if I'm not mistaken. But essentially what it is is a, like a, a line plot or a figure. And on the x-axis, you've got skill or competence in some activity. Um, and then on the y, the vertical axis, you've got the level of difficulty of mm. the task, right? The challenge level. And now you can imagine the area on this plot as, as being filled with different kind of zones of experience. And, and so, as you can imagine, if the uh, skill that you have for something is very low, but the thing is also very easy and there's no challenge at all, then you just experience apathy or, or maybe boredom if you've got a little bit more skill, right? So, you know, brushing your teeth, there's very little like skill involved and it just it just is there's not much challenge you can just be apathetic about it or you know tying your shoelaces whatever it may be um, so you've got the apathy boredom towards the bottom left if you now increase the challenge the difficulty of the task but you don't increase the skill now you start moving into worry and then in the top left corner you've got anxiety right and now that's that acute stress you were talking about like a panic attack then as you start increasing the mm. uh, so now we're in the top left high difficulty, low skill. As you start increasing your skill level, your competence, you now go from anxiety to arousal. Like, instead of just panicking and being totally overwhelmed, you're going, hey, this is interesting. The, the, okay, this could be cool. You've got my attention. And as your skill gets you know, maxed out there, then you're in the flow state. right? And so you've got, you've got apathy in the bottom left. You've got anxiety in the top left. Mm. You've got flow in the top right. Um, and then, you know, interestingly, if you, if you imagine having high skill and low challenge, well, that's relaxation. Um, so maybe, you know, for some people that might be like knitting, let's say. And, and this is a really useful framework to, to think about flow from because you can kind of ask yourself what state you're in. And then, you know, either you need to increase the skill or the challenge in order to move towards another mental mode that you want to be in. All right. And so there's a lot of fantastic research behind all of this. And, and a lot of studies of various different populations and different people over many years. Um, and the father of all of that is this guy called Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. So he's a Hungarian-American psychologist. Uh, impossible to spell name, but it will be in the show notes. <laughs> Super interesting guy. And actually, when, when I was uh, looking him up again recently, I, I found a, a really cool little anecdote about how he got into psychology that I thought just have to share. You know, it's, it's uh, just after the... Uh, or a little bit after the, the Second World War, and, you know, he's like a teenager or something at the time, and he goes on a skiing trip to Switzerland, I believe, and while he's there, there's, like, really bad conditions, so he's not doing any skiing, and the movies happen to be closed that day, so he can't even go see a film. So he's like, well, what else can I do? So he sees that there's this, like, talk on about UFOs. So he's like, I'll, I'll go to this, this talk about UFOs. Goes to this talk, it turns out that's just, like, a, a, a clickbaity... <laughs> Uh, headline of the time and uh, the talk is actually by someone who is an expert on psychology and he he talks about how after the war people had to find some like outlet and mapping for the trauma and so they started like imagining these ufos in the sky that weren't actually there and manifesting themselves and and really just introduced uh Csikszentmihalyi to many of these interesting ideas in psychology and it turns out that that this was carl jung who, who actually then 
inspired Csikszent Mihai to go into psychology, who's one of the most famous psychologists of all time. And uh, if you if you've heard of Jordan Peterson, you will almost yeah, certainly have heard him talk about Carl Jung. Um, and uh, <laughs> fantastic little anecdote about uh, Csikszent Mihai's origins and introduction into into psychology. Yeah, and uh, the the true value of serendipity, I guess. But um, he then went on to research this over many years, and the TLDR on this is that you can go to any population, you can ask people, young and old, and his, his focus was on, on trying to find out what made people perform at a high level, and what he discovered was flow. These people all reported the same thing, the state of actions and reality and work and focus all flowing out of them and flowing together, and everyone kept using this analogy of like liquids moving or flowing, and so he called it the flow state. And that's how he, by looking to find what makes people perform at a high level, discovered flow. And this is conserved across populations, across the world, across cultures. And it's also incredibly highly correlated with life satisfaction from a population analysis perspective, right? So when you do these observational studies, you find that like if you were to plot flow versus life satisfaction, it's pretty much linear, which is not true for income, which is not true for most other things. Um, and so he's gone so far as to say that it is like the secret to happiness. And, and I think given that, and given the fact that you can have these reported improvements in your performance when in the flow state, I mean, how could you not, how could you not try and inject your life with as much of this as possible? Yeah, I mean, I guess there is probably reason to be skeptical of, you know, I mean, some of the claims there are, as you say, like very extraordinary, and they come from, you know, these sort of flaky observational studies. But I, I wonder more if the way in which we experience the sort of positive effects of flow, I wonder. So, I mean, when you are in the state of flow, right, you're sort of sitting there doing whatever it is you're doing, and you're not thinking, oh, great, this is flow. You're just, the thing is enjoyable, right? And so, in some sense, you know, I think a, a wise thing to do sometimes is to try and, instead of adding more solutions, try and remove problems, right? Yeah, ask first what you can take away before asking what you can add. Mm. And so, you know, I mean, that, that, that's true in medicine, you know, in so, sometimes instead of adding new medications, the best thing to do is, for example, quit smoking, just a trite example, <laughs> right? So maybe I'm just thinking, you know, the benefit of flow here is not that you are, you know, deriving some long-term um, positive valence out of it, right? It could also just be the effect that whilst your attention is so captured and tied up in this thing which feels intrinsically meaningful, well, those are not moments where your attention is free to go and be neurotic, to go and be needy, to wonder what people think about you, to worry about the past or the future. And so in some sense, flow is just an, is what you could call a skillful use of attention. It's taking away your ability to worry and prevaricate you you're living totally in the moment uh, in the way that something like meditation tries to achieve as well um and and i, I do acknowledge that there's, there's definite differences between meditation and being in the flow state but also some striking similarities there's there's that adage that uh, anxiety is 
being stuck in the future and depression as being stuck in the past. And so it's like, well, if you eliminate those, right, you're eliminating like 99% of your suffering. Like unless in the present moment you're being tortured. And even then, it's a lot of the pain of, of torture is presumably the anxiety about the fact that it won't stop. This idea of being in the present moment, of almost reducing yourself to kind of like an animal-like state where only now matters and freeing up all your mental faculties and all your awareness to focus on what is at hand as opposed to fretting about the the future or the past we can see why that leads to both performance and satisfaction you're removing it enough that that you're able to just plug into what really matters seemingly mm. your inhibitions just melt away so i mean i guess that's a great segue then to move into talking about why it is we even have the possibility to experience this well we have this flow state and it seems to be something that our body and brain and mind are very much tuned to and find it very much is, is satisfying. But yet, it seems to disconnect you from a lot of aspects of awareness that I would have assumed were important in an animal that is usually prey and not predator. Right. So if we go back to the ancestral environment, you know, humans were being hunted by like large uh, predators a lot of the time and and it was it was only through our development of tools and structures and harnessing of fire that we started to shift the needle towards us being more of the predator and less of the prey but you know in our raw ecological niche um, we were very much prey to a lot of animals and so this idea of disconnecting your mind from everything that's happening to focus on one single thing in a state that's difficult to snap out of seems like it would have been selected against evolutionarily like why is total immersion in a task pleasurable so like from that evolutionary perspective uh, like given given the background that we have on on flow and we know it to be advantageous that's great but why like what was the selective pressure there and, and that's something I'd, I've, I've been pondering a lot. So I'm interested to hear your intuitions on that. And then I have thought of some ideas, but I think we can really dig into them because I'm not convinced that they cover the whole story. Yeah, I mean, I kind of wonder if this like state of flow is not something that we evolved towards, right? Not something that was selected for, but which we've actually evolved further and further away from. That's interesting. Okay. So the way that I imagine it, or I imagine it could have been, one of the major distinguishing things about humans is that we plan, we make complex plans about the future, and we can think about the future, right? And that yeah. involves the development of complex language and strong social bonds. Um, an understanding of group dynamics comes in with that. Uh, theory of mind, discursive thought, right? Thoughts that can interrupt. And so I wonder if maybe it was the opposite, right? The somewhat base state of some prehistoric mammal, or maybe even some animals today, I'm not sure, is this pure immersion in what's going on right now. Um, I mean, most people can think of their family dog, and, and, and dogs always seem perfectly in the moment, right? I mean, dogs don't often worry about the future, so far as I can tell. Maybe if you show them 
a cage before taking them to the vet. I don't know. But maybe in acquiring all the things which made us who we are, made us humans, it was exactly those adaptations that have taken us away from flow. A corroborating little piece of evidence here would be the fact that it's not easy to reach flow. Um, and our baseline is to be lost in thought, is to be caught up in nagging, discursive thoughts. And so I kind of come at it from the opposite point of view of thinking, not was this selected for, but has it actually been quite strongly selected against? And that's why we have to have very specific niche circumstances to get into it. Okay. I, I, I like this. This is an interesting idea, an interesting set of thoughts for addressing this missing information or this question that we have so let's call that the the out of flow hypothesis right like the out of <laughs> africa hypothesis right so okay so jared's out of flow hypothesis so i like that a lot that makes a lot of sense but i have some qualms with it and and obviously you know you're more than welcome to to, to have a, a rebuttal to this as well um but here here are my thoughts as immediate you know intuitions on this you use the example of like the family dog and yes the family dog does seem to always be living in the moment, as do many animals in their natural um, or even artificial environments. You know, they're just in the now. They don't seem to be stressing about the future. Uh, they don't seem to be too aware of the past um, beyond some basic like recall when prompted, right? So like Pavlov's dogs, like you ring the bell and they start salivating. But if you didn't ring the bell, they wouldn't be thinking about the meal. Uh, it's, it's much more of a stimulus recall thing than it is uh, uh, thinking about the past or dwelling on it. Mm. but they for the most part they don't have a very high level of uh of stresses in their life and i'm using stresses instead of stress here to specifically mean excitement or difficult challenges right so i mean if specifically domesticated pets they they're never really getting chased by anything that can kill them they're you know they're never really in danger and occasionally a bird will land in the garden and they'll they'll try and hunt it down and, and that's a bit of excitement for them or another dog will walk past but for the most part, they seem to be in the very low challenge area of that uh, flow figure that we that we spoke about earlier. Um, and and yes, they're pretty good at all the things that they need to do. But that's not very many things. It's just essentially eat, sleep, and lie around and and look cute. Uh, so for the most part, I'd imagine that they're chilling in the bottom left of that that state of being. Right? They're, they're somewhere between apathy and and boredom most of the time occasionally worry and uh when you chuck them in a, a cage to take them to the vet or on an airplane or something then they that moves up to the top left to anxiety uh and maybe in the natural environment or maybe you know when hunting a bird or something like that they can get into the flow state because they're peaked into their excitement and they're peaked in their skill level and all the instincts are coming to bear on something that involves a physical task and involves their mental faculties and physical faculties all at once, right? But for the most part, they wouldn't actually be in that state. And the other reason I think that it is not the default state is that it's neurochemically expensive, right? It, it's, it burns a lot of calories. It is, as far as we think, requires a lot of neurochemical activity and a lot of uh, neural activity, right? A lot of like electrical activity in the brain between neurons. And that, that's very energy intensive, right? Our, our brains, for instance, are already quite energy intensive. And the kind of diet that you would need to support that seems to be beyond what would be a natural environmental state. So while well, I do see your reasoning for thinking we've moved away from a living in the now state 
and moved into thinking strategically and planning and, and looking at the past and telling stories, I think that that state of living in the now wasn't flow. It was apathy, boredom, and occasionally worry with brief flitters of flow um, during certain activities, maybe. So that to me is is why I don't think that that explains the full story. Yeah, I mean, I'm also, uh, I definitely don't think it explains everything. I'm not sure about the argument, though, that flow is more um, energy expensive. I mean, it's possible, if especially if you're synthesizing a bunch of hormones, a bunch of neurotransmitters. Um, I, I'd wonder exactly, you know, what the sort of percent increase in energy usage would be if it was really significant. And not just energy, right? I'm talking other resources here as well, things that your body has to synthesize or has to break down from other compounds that you've ingested. Yeah. Because that I mean, could also be the, the limiting factor. It, it might be a factor. I'm not, I actually don't have strong intuitions either way there. I don't know. I, I think I don't fully agree with the idea that like the default state is like that that boredom almost i i find like boredom is such a human concept you know i almost put it this way right maybe here's here's an analogy which i'm going to attempt to invoke and you tell me where it falls falls apart right think about that almost childlike sense of wonder that like four-year-olds seem to have with everything right i mean they're, they're very notably four-year-old humans right four-year-old humans yeah I mean, they're not very um, conceptual or verbal, and yet, like, the world is interesting to them, and they see wonder in ways that, like, the more jaded, older people tend not to, right? Mm. You know, like, something so simple as a clod of earth can somehow contain as much wonder as you or I might find in, you know, some beautiful work of art or whatever it is that captures your attention, right? Absolutely. And, and so I almost see like boredom as being this product of our overly cynical, overly active minds that have now decided that they've predicted all of the novelty away, right? I mean, just from a sort of brain point of view, once your brain can successfully predict um, future circumstances with some degree of regularity, you could in some sense right. say that is boredom, right? Whereas to the four-year-old, everything is novel and interesting. And so I'm wondering just to myself if, um, you know, the, the, the experience, uh, whatever that experience might be of, mm. you know, a dog or some other mammal might be something like that, right? Without the ability to form like these strong descriptive memories or concepts about things, you're always in some sense experiencing something anew, right? Yeah. Um, so I mean, it's like it's like if you think about the excitement that a dog gives to the same meal every evening at the same time, right? And yet, like, the, the, I mean, we, we project and say it looks almost joyous. Right? I mean, dogs look very happy to be fed, and I can imagine a human in the same in the same situation being fed the same meal, be, you know, feeling like this is some sort of prison. We should always, I think, be wary of arguing by analogy, and we're like several analogies deep now. But I do wonder, just in my own head, yeah, if there is this way in which the boredom that we associate with being human is not the same as a dog, which could be maybe very present just by force of not having that conceptual layer to experience. Got you. Okay, I, 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 that is an interesting point. I have a counter argument that's based on hedonism and eigenvectors. 
<laughs> so brace yourself. <laughs> All right. So, so <laughs> not what not what you were expecting. Um, so yes, I totally take your point about the child and the childlike wonder. Um, but I think that's specific to being like, a human child, right? So take the example of of the dog. The dog is happy with the same meal pretty much every day. They never get bored of it, right? Humans, however, we're very good at adjusting our expectations, right? The same thing doesn't satisfy a human for very long. But you need to constantly be looking for more, looking for better, looking for new things to learn, new things to do, new experiences and sensory inputs, right? And so, yes, you're right in saying that part of why we sometimes so often feel bored in the modern world is because of the things we've created, our technology, our environments, the way we've shaped our lives and a lot of ill discipline on our parts. But that is because of hedonic adaptation, right? So now we're used to being able to get streams of novel information at, at our fingertips like literally everything from you know food to sexuality has just been upped on novelty and level of quality and everything uh, and, and level of addictiveness and so yes everything when you unplug from that can seem quite boring by comparison but that is more of a point against your argument from this perspective then it is one in favor of it, right? So the reason we're mostly bored is just because we are expecting more sensory input and not getting it. And the eigenvector comes into play. I mean, it's not strictly an eigenvector, but um, <laughs> if you would go back to imagining that uh, sort of uh, flow matrix that we were talking about with the skill and challenge, that childlike state of wonder and constantly learning and thinking and just being amazed by the world you have a very limited scope at first. So this possible like range of challenges and possible range of skill is, is very small. Um, so instead of like strutting, you know, around that uh, flow space, and now imagine that you're just scaling the axes out bigger. And yeah. the child is now on this perfect trajectory of like the X equals Y line, just moving up towards the top right, like almost all the time. And when they're not like that, they're really unhappy. They're like crying because they don't have some physiological need satisfied, like food or sleep, or they're sleeping 12 to 16 hours a day, depending on the age, right? So that, this is this is part of my reason why I say it's like presumably quite energy intensive to be in that state all the time, because when you do it, you get exhausted and, and children seem to be in that state a lot and they get pretty tired the rest of the time. Um, and so I think that you do feel like that childlike sense of wonder when you are in the flow state, especially when learning things or tackling challenges. And I think when you're a child, the challenge is stacking some blocks on top of each other, and that's maxing out the challenge, that's maxing out your skill. As an adult, that's writing a novel or an incredible piece of code or launching things into space while also revolutionizing the autonomous motor vehicle industry, whatever it might be. Um, and, and I think... This ties in very much so to the idea that I wanted to come to earlier when you mentioned one of the activities that gets you into flow state, video games. Video games are an example of something that's deliberately designed to constantly keep the challenge and your skill at the same level. That's the reason why you have difficulty settings in games. That's the reason why modern games dynamically adjust the difficulty level uh, depending on your performance. So if, if the challenges are too far above your skill, they make it easier. Too far below, they make it harder. And they're constantly keeping you in that flow state to the best of the game designer's ability by matching the challenge to the skill level. And some games just have this in like inherently baked in. Like if you think of like uh, endless runners, like a, a temple run or like a doodle jump or or even something like Pac-Man, like the, as you like progress, it just gets faster and harder or more of something. It just increases. So like 
your skill will constantly be tested at the maximum level of challenge. And so video games are an example of like humans actively hacking the flow state, but instead of spending it on something that is probably more productive from our, in terms of our modern values, it's spending it on just being in the state, right? So you might think of it as being like the kind of porn of the flow experience in that <laughs> it, it, it doesn't lead to like reproduction or some other like inherently like um, valued outcome, but it does put you in the flow state and give you that sense of pleasure. And like this is personally one of the reasons why I try and stay away from most video games as much as possible because mm. I get super into the flow state and I'm naturally a person who's very, let's say, flow sensitive. Um, and I mean, I can, you know, if I'm working on a project, I can go like days without eating or hardly sleeping and I'm just glued in and all I think about is that thing that I'm doing. Um, and crazy. so you can imagine that apply to playing Call of Duty and see where <laughs> this can get very dangerous. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, it's, it's, it's striking that we didn't mention it earlier, but I think we'd be remiss not to uh, mention. But I mean, surely sex and, and sexuality has to have like again a sort of back door into the flow state right i mean <laughs> I, mean, I mean one of one of the prerequisites <laughs> if you if you're saying no back door back puns door. thank you <laughs> no no thank you um <laughs> but i mean you know one of the um factors which obviously can bring on the flow state is like a very tight feedback loop right mm. and i mean you know, that's possible in many things, right? You play the wrong note on the violin and you know. And I, I, I guess with sex, at least on your own perception of it, you'll sure. again have that tight feedback loop. So I'd imagine that's, if nowhere else, um, someone is experiencing flow, that's one place where they might be. Uh, yeah, you're totally right, games. but I'm still caught up on tight feedback loop. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, I didn't plan that paragraph. Uh, and, and, and if, then, if you're not getting a tight enough feedback loop, you can go and backdoor the experience of flow. Oh, so yeah. What have I done? That's going to be a soundbite. Yeah, <laughs> it begins. Um, <laughs> I guess. And then maybe sort of the last thing we can uh, touch on is this idea of, of group flow. Um, so to go back to earlier, when you asked, you know, what kinds of, flow experiences do I have, I realized at some point in the conversation that the one that I hit with some regularity and I really enjoy doing is, I mean, it really is purely for my own amusement, but mm. I really enjoy making jokes. And at some point that feels like flow to me. And I mean, I'm not saying that anyone finds me particularly funny. I find me particularly funny. And, and that's honestly all I'm doing it for is I can laugh at my own jokes and yeah, yeah, you're in the flow state. And I mean, stand-up comedy has got to be one of the, like any form of public speaking for starters, but then in addition to that stand-up comedy, because tight feedback loop, uh, super like high threshold for like how good you have to be to get a laugh out of people. Mm. And, and, and then you've got the added like social aspect of it. And uh, as you say, group flow, there's something that's, let's dig into that now. But yeah, I'd imagine that stand-up comedy is one of the most flow-centric or flow-oriented activities out there, where flow state is is everything, um, and and I think that's why it can be addictive. I suppose any form of 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 like live performance really would just be digging heavily into that from both the social aspect and the personal aspect, right? Mm. You've got this whole crowd who's absorbed in something, and then the person absorbed in the thing bouncing that back off 
with them, right? Uh, but yeah, group flow is a huge component of this, right? So a lot of people experience this at like concerts. Uh, people experience this. A great example that I've experienced a lot is uh, really good like brainstorming sessions where you're just sitting around with a group of people and the ideas that are flowing out of you, there the term comes again, are just absolutely like gold and you, you, you wonder where it comes from. I mean, this conversation right now, I'm in a, you know, a mild to significant flow state. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm totally locked into this conversation we're having my sense of the time that's that's going is uh, very minimal. But yeah, absolutely. I, I think, and, and group flow is one of those things that is obviously harder to hack because you've got more variables now in terms of you can't be in group flow if only one person is in flow. And so to get everyone in flow is is a challenge. And this this actually ties in to the ideas I had about why flow may have evolved in terms of a positive argument for how it could have been selected for. So the, so the original thinking that I had uh, with, with why flow could have been selected for was something that I'm gonna call, let's say the uh, PhD hunter hypothesis, right? Um, and this is somewhat drawn from a comment that the uh, pseudonymous essayist Scott Alexander made on Slate Star Codex in a, in a, in a post. The idea was that hunting is actually incredibly hard. Like being a hunter-gatherer and specifically the hunting part of that is like way harder than we give it credit for. Uh, and they go through like various examples of different hunting strategies that were cultivated throughout the world. Um, it's like one was like Inuit hunters uh, for hunting a seal. And I mean, you have to be able to hunt a polar bear to get the certain bone that you need to make the spear to hunt the mm. seal. And you have to know how to detect their breathing holes and pack the ice in a certain way. And I mean, you need this incredible amount of, of knowledge and experience and skill. And so the idea being that hunting successfully is much less like being a Boy Scout and much more like having a PhD, right? Like the most experienced hunter in a hunter-gatherer tribe would have been the equivalent of like someone who is a professor with tenure of some topic mm. they were absolute and, and on the same level as we treat those people today in terms of the level of detail and the level of experience that they had like i think we do our ancestors a great disservice by assuming that they didn't know a lot of stuff and i think they were incredibly knowledgeable so so that's the first thing to realize and so my thinking was that being in the flow state will then maximize your performance because you're very focused on the task you're trying to achieve, you're very tuned to the environment and to your body and you're able to perform, to run faster, to react quicker. Um, if you're killing a polar bear to get their bones to hunt a seal, which might slip away through the eyes, all of those things involve being tuned into your senses um, and being and being ready to, to act and perform. And the payoff from that is huge, right? So the little bit extra energy that you burn being in that flow state is ah. made up for by all the, the, the meat that you get from the things that you hunt. Uh, you see now now I'm much more with you uh, on on your initial point because now you could almost view the difficulty we experience getting into the flow state as as you say preventing us from being in this very vulnerable state when we're just socializing or you know dealing with normal human problems but you know as you say it could also be this fantastic driving incentive that has driven much of the cutting edge progress. Okay, that's that's a, a really interesting way of thinking about it. And then more recently, I was thinking about this further whilst thinking about the concept of group flow and the fact that what actually sets humans apart from uh, from the other apes is not our raw intelligence. Like chimpanzees and orangutans and some other apes can perform 
as well or better than us on like some basic like memory tasks uh, that we abstract away from like human uh, levels of understanding of maths and things like that, like just recall and shape manipulation and 3D rotations and those kind of things. They're just as good or if not better. But what they're terrible at is conveying information to each other and across generations and teaching each other. So it seems that like cultural evolution is actually the more important thing here. And I'd love to do one or more episodes on this topic, but we don't have time for it now. But yeah. the idea being that the thing that actually sets humans apart is not our intelligence. It's our ability to communicate and share ideas and coordinate. Um, like on your own, you can't do very much. No human being alive today could even make a pencil from scratch. But yet collaboratively, we're able to put people on other like celestial bodies. We can send people to the moon. We can send things to Mars. We can create satellites that we launch into space. We can develop the internet, all these kind of things, like with breakthroughs in every dimension by coordinating. And my, my uh, addendum to the uh, PhD hunter hypothesis is that obviously group coordination is hugely effective when hunting and it's a huge force multiplier. So you see this in like wild dogs, for instance, or pack wolves that hunt together, they get that huge force multiplier effect. So now imagine humans doing this, but on the scale of human coordination and imagine getting into that group flow state whereby much like that basketball team seems to just be unstoppable where they know where every player is going to be and they can do blind passes and catch it in midair and slam dunk it down and they can make up like 100 points to win the game in the last quarter. A group of hunters would be in that same kind of state when they are mm. trying to make this crucial kill that will win them the respect and adoration and reproductive uh, preferences of their whole tribe, <laughs> right? And that, yeah. I can imagine, would be like super, triply, quadruply selected for. And so coming from that perspective, it doesn't seem like, it seems like a no-brainer that flow and specifically group flow, which is also just great in general around a fire for sharing ideas, is super important. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, what a beautiful note to end on, you know, we're busy creating a podcast that is hopefully contributing to that human activity of sharing knowledge amongst ourselves and with others. And um, as you've just outlined, it's, it is, in some sense, the reason that our society has come as far as it has so yeah unfortunately i'm so deep into the flow of this now that i almost need someone to physically <laughs> remove the mic from me because i have no desire to stop however i do appreciate the fact that we've run long <laughs> however if you're listening to this and you're in the flow state write to us uh, send us a, an email at uh, podtangent at gmail.com or tweet us on twitter uh, at podtangent is the handle there or we even have instagram yeah. also podtangent everything's podtangent we won that freaking seo battle like you can assume <laughs> that if there is a social media platform or a thing out there and we have a profile on it the username is podtangent uh, including the website of course so yeah if if you have interesting experiences if you got into the flow state listening to this podcast let us know and also let us know which aspects of this you'd like to dig more into. I mean, I have so many more ideas on this. Haven't even touched on things like the modern approaches to flow hacking, some of the pharmacological and technological ways people are augmenting the flow state, the practical tips that I've acquired over the years for hacking flow, um, ways to trigger flow in the modern world in both group and individual settings. There, there's so much more here. I would love to talk more about this. And I've experimented with this personally a great deal. So if you're listening to this, if you would like to hear all of that, please let us know because that gives us a great idea of what people want to listen to because ultimately we are 
not just creating this for ourselves as enjoyable and as flow inducing as it is it is also for the people listening and their interests so let us know uh, perfect sweet <laughs> let's put it to rest then all right until next time